0: A reading today is taken from Genesis 20. Now Abraham moved from there into the region of Negev and lived there between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, And then Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you didn't, do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die Early the next morning Abimelech summoned all his officials and when he told them all that had happened they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. Then Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. This is the word of the Lord. So
1: um, we want to now invite Paul to come and speak to us. But if you'd like to hold your hands out, we'll say a little prayer before he delivers God's word. So, Heavenly Father, pour your loving spirit over Paul and open our ears, hearts, hearts, and minds to what he says in your name. Amen.
2: Uh, It's Lent on Wednesday, that's exciting. For those of you that are excited by the prospect of 40 days of giving something up, uh, some of you may know that I've had a forced fast imposed upon me as my iPhone has... uh, been sent to the insurance company to be replaced. So currently, I'm going through withdrawal symptoms from uh, from technology, which is quite difficult for me. However, I am reflecting quite a lot on the book that I've. Uh, I know a lot of you have read recently on uh, the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer, and thinking, "Well, I'm feeling that God is forcing this on to me somehow." Uh, and I'd only just started to take some of his words into. Uh, practice and started to uh, I wasn't quite brave enough to remove the email app from my phone but I have moved it to the back page of uh, my phone so that it's not so readily available those little numbers that appear in the corner which I'm a little bit OCD I hate having those numbers appear I have to clear them, it just irritates the life out of me seeing those little red numbers in the corner of the apps you're getting insight into my mindset, aren't you? Hey, so I've moved it, I've hidden it, I've got rid of it. But as it happens, I'm having a forced fast. But that's not what I'm talking about. I, I, I'm just sharing that because uh, over this next couple of days, I'm going to be sending out well, Paul Ward on the newsletter... Uh, some period over Lent where we can uh, fast and pray together and so there'll be some days through Lent where you can sign up should you wish to on the church suite if you sign up then we will communicate with you and say why don't you pray with this why don't you ponder this why don't you reflect on that because we spoke about this morning in the 8.30 that Lent isn't about giving stuff up uh, per se it's about presence over practice It's about stopping to do things to find the presence of God. And and so we'll have that built in over the the journey of Lent over these coming uh, uh, weeks leading up to Easter. So just keep an eye out. If that's something that interests you, then please do. The links will be on the newsletter that goes out. If you don't get our newsletter, then can you come and see, uh, see Paul afterwards and he'll make sure that you're on the uh, system so that you do start to get the newsletters because we uh, communicate electronically every week Uh, it goes out once a week go and see Paul Uh, so the first album I ever bought Uh, back in the days when albums were plastic and round and and black in colour, although they've made a resurgence recently, I I realise that, was an album called Tango in the Night. Anyone ever heard of it? Anyone can tell me who it was by? It was Fleetwood Mac, that's right. They had a song on there. It was one of the few songs that actually made it into the singles chart called Tell Me Lies. if you remember that, Tell Me Lies by Fleetwood Mac. It just made me think of that this morning as we hear this story that Jeanette read out about Abimelech. And uh, we're looking as part of the general series of uh, integrity about speaking truth. And we have this story of uh, Abimelech this morning. And I'm just wondering, does... To start off with, the simple question is, does that story raise any challenges with you? It raises quite a significant amount when I read it. On so many levels, you're thinking, oh my word, what does he think he's doing? Because, I mean, to start with, this isn't the first time uh, that Abraham has pulled this stunt he did it uh, back in uh, Genesis uh, a little bit earlier when he, he, he did the same with Pharaoh in Genesis 12. He did exactly the same thing. And what's worse is this is a characteristic that's handed down to his ge- handed down a generation because so does his son. You know, you think, goodness me. Uh, and then th- there's this huge question that everyone sort of just... Doesn't really ever deal with. Are you thinking no, nobody's mentioning the fact that she's your sister? Because yeah, she is a half sister. Uh, 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 you know, we, we sort of skip over that bit. But we'll ignore that today. So it was it was a half truth. <laughs> we will ignore that today. That's not the theme of today. So James will deal with the, that on another Sunday. For laughing, James will deal with that on another Sunday. <laughs> It's a half truth. He did. he, he told a half truth, yeah. Because he said, "No, she's my sister, not my wife." Well, that's half true. She is half your sister. <laughs> she's your half because she they admit that later, don't they? She, always, oh, yeah. Said, we have the same dad, just not the same mum. Well, well, that doesn't make it okay. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. What would you do in the circumstance? Yeah, that's the big question, because it's easy to look at these stories, isn't it, And, and take the moral high ground. But here's the truth. I tell lies. I tell lies to myself. I tell lies to God. I tell lies to people around me. And I know that so do you. So none of us can sit in the place of moral high ground on this. We all have lessons to learn from it, uh, many of you know that uh, a previous career of mine was in the police service. And if any of you have ever given evidence in a court, uh, in a court of law, you are expected to make uh, a, an oath. Or a, or a declaration. That depends on where you sit on this. If you go into courts, there's a selection of religious material to choose from. You know, choose your religion of choice, or no religion. Or religion that takes the word of God very seriously and conservatively and so don't want to swear on the Bible because that's how you interpretate scripture. So there's lots of ways you can do it. But effectively, you're saying uh, if you swear on the Bible, you put a hand on the, or hold the Bible in one hand and you swear, I promise by Almighty God that I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Of course, we live in a society where truth is relative, And actually, I suppose, to some extent, over recent years, we've started to really uh, have suspicions for people who in the past we would have just held up as people of truth. uh, And we become very suspicious of them now, in particular, politicians. We don't tend to believe much that comes out of their mouth nowadays but sadly that characteristic has filtered down into occupations where uh they they don't deserve that reputation you know you know if you if any of you i know we do have doctors and nurses here but we we even doubt professionals in that profession that somehow they're telling us the truth you think i i get the whole politician thing i seriously i understand why we don't believe anything that comes out of their mouth but i nurses and doctors i don't under, i don't get that at all or teachers or these professionals that you know why do we doubt them but such has become our society that we don't we tend to doubt everybody now nobody seems to have the authority to speak truth over us any longer we don't like it and it's because we live in this world where re- truth is relative you know what's true for me may not be true for you, but that's okay. Well, let me tell you, that's nonsense. I mean, it's a self-defeating argument if you think about it, because truth has got to be truth, whether it's true for you. If if it is true for you, it has to be true for everyone else, because otherwise it's not the truth. Do you get what I'm saying? Truth is truth by definition, Perceptions can change, but truth is still truth. Now what I mean by that uh, is, so for for example, uh, if we were to go and uh, if, if I was to ask Eileen to just go and hide outside for a moment and then was to get Annette to do something in here, I don't know, pick up Paul's guitar and hide it somewhere. Then I was to say to James and Jackie, what did you see? Did Annette hide pause? And you would say, yes. And then we were to get Eileen back in here and ask the same question. She would say, no. Are they lying? No, they're not lying. They just have a different perception of the truth don't they? Because they witness different things. The truth, it's not relative, but our perception of it can change depending on what we experience and what we understand. But truth remains constant. Annette did hide Paul's guitar in that scenario. So let's get back to Abimelech and the story of Abraham. And, in particular, how we can learn from it so let 's look at this story uh, and draw out some uh, some uh, some teaching for it and let 's start to to take some of the meat off the bones of this so if you can imagine the the, the the story of Abraham and Sarah, they go into this land, the big power base at the time was Abimelech, now Abimelech is a common name for kings, so we, we, we see that a little bit later because uh, as I flick through and um, fi- find uh, Abraham's son, Isaac, and his wife, Rebecca, who do they lie to? Who do they pull the very same stunt with? That's a quiz. It's Abimelech, but it might be a different one. <laughs> it's a common name. But they do exactly the same thing. They're in this land and what drives them? What did Abraham say drives them to the lie in the first place? Fear. That, I suspect, is the root of every untruth. It's fear of something. It's fear of being caught out. It's fear of being made to look stupid. Fear of being unpopular. It's a fear that drives, them. and in this case, it was a fear for their own safety, or in particular, it was a fear for Abraham's safety. He doesn't really seem to care much for, for Sarah, but he said that I feel threatened, so if you pretend to be my sister, then every, I'm not going to get killed so that Abimelech can have you. So it's really about Abraham's fear, uh, and, and Sarah doesn't have the... Uh, confidence doesn't have maybe standing in the family to say actually no that doesn't sit well with me Abraham I'm not going to do that she just goes along with it for the second time and they tell what appears to be in the situation reasonable to protect themselves but it's a lie and it's not acceptable now, this story happens about 500 years before God sets a line in the sand when it comes to truth and untruth in the story of the Ten, in the Ten Commandments when, when God gives some, uh, some advice and some commandments on speaking truth. So it happens before that, but I think natural law tells us that telling the truth is a good thing. It's one of those inherent conditions in humanity that says we need to tell the truth. Lying is bad. So, it's fear that originally drives them to it. Abraham is scared for his own uh, existence so he pulls this stunt thinking when well, it's worked the first time with Pharaoh I'll do it again uh, and tells a, a half truth and we you know he, what he, he does is he fails to tell everything of the story so he does say she is my sister and, and later we find out that actually they do have the same dad, different mums, there's a half sister so is he lying? Well he is telling half a truth, he's just not telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth it's just the truth and that's why the courts insist on those three sayings the truth whole truth and nothing but the truth, because what they want is not you to stop. They don't want you to stop giving evidence when it starts to get uncomfortable. Well, I've told you the truth as much as I'm prepared to tell you. They want everything. They want to know everything you saw, you experienced, you felt, or you witnessed at the time. They want everything, not just up to a point where it starts to get uncomfortable for you. So he feels this, this fear, but what's interesting about the story is that he starts to assume a position and actually we start to get built into this a degree of idolatry because what's already what, let's take the story back a little bit we know that Abraham has been promised by God that you are going to be uh, the father of uh, of a, a huge nation you know, Count the stars in the sky, Abraham, that's going to be your descendants. And uh, up to this point, there is no descendants. There are, uh, there are just, they, do, they don't exist. There isn't, uh, you know, there are none. So that's the promise of God. Abraham fears for his own life and lies. So in doing so, he's effectively saying to God, I don't believe your, I don't believe that you tell me the truth. And so I am going to lie to protect myself because if God is speaking truth, Abraham was safe because Abraham will have children. But Abraham fails to believe the promise of God and so starts to lie because of fear So first thing to do is when God speaks truth, let's hold on to truth to start with. Let's hold on to the truths of God, the promises of God, because they are true. The Bible says they are yes and amen. When he says something, he delivers on it. So let's hold on to that to start with. So Abraham lost sight of that promise and then starts to lie. And it's fear that drives him. Well, let me tell you something about the truth. The truth is not a thing, it's a person. The truth is not a thing, it's a person, it's Jesus. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. And he says, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free so actually when he's saying if you know the truth if you know me you needn't be fearful because you can be set free from fear you can be set free from that and one of the things i mean there are t- i <laughs> i was lying in bed last night quite a lot because uh We had a lovely evening around Gary and Nimlitz with some of the young uh, young people to sort of start to talk about Uganda. But we had pizza. And I probably overindulged in pizza. So I went to bed about 11, and at half past 12, I was still lying in bed, thinking, oh, I've got really bad indigestion. I shouldn't have eaten so much pizza. And I think, what should I do? And I, my mind then starts to go around lots of different scenarios, not about indigestion or pizzas, but other things, and, and starts to challenge me on things. And I start to then worry about other things. Oh, and, and I thought, no... I shouldn't, I'm not going to suffer this. I might have to suffer indigestion. That's my own stupid fault. But I'm not going to suffer these thoughts that are going around my head. What I'm going to do, these fears that are coming into my head, I'm going to start to challenge them with the word of God. God has promised me this, and therefore I'm going to stand on it. And I started to pray through some of these things and say, well, no, God says this, and so I needn't fear about this. Why? Because Jesus is the truth. And perfect uh, and you should know the truth and it shall set you free, and perfect love casts out fear. Jesus is both perfect love and perfect truth. I can and, and I can be free of that fear. And I started and actually the next thing I did, I woke up at seven o'clock when the alarm went off, and that was great. Well it wasn't, I mean I was tired, but seven o'clock, but there you go. So we shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. The truth is not a thing, it's a person, Jesus. And he calls us, as we've said before, is to represent himself to our nation, to our communities, to our friends, to our families, to our neighbours, to the people that we engage with on a day-to-day basis, to represent him to others. And when we represent him or represent him, what are we representing, the truth or someone who lies? He is the truth. Jesus and his uh, life gave this perfect example of what it was to live in truth. Jesus only ever spoke words that were true. Not just true as through to his perception, but they were true. They weren't, uh, you know, Eileen's understanding of the event that didn't really happen. It was her perception. She wasn't lying, but it wasn't true. Jesus spoke words of truth they were only ever completely true but at no times was Jesus rude to some extent he challenged people but he was always truthful and he was always loving he was sometimes said hard things but they were always loving you know we can we can We can say how much he challenged the Pharisees, and he did. He challenged them with truth. But if you read the Gospels, where do you find Jesus eating most of the time? With the Pharisees. Why? Because he constantly reached out to them. He wanted, he didn't turn his back on them, he reached out to them constantly he challenged them but he was reaching out to them. He was eating with them and he was engaging with them and he answered their questions even when they were trying to trap him. He answered their questions with truth. Ever heard this? I'm just going to tell you this in love. I hear those words I usually think oh no. What's coming next? Because actually what usually follows isn't, is anything but loving. It, It's perception of truth. And uh, what I've learnt, and and to reflect on speaking truth, sometimes it's best to keep quiet. Truth does not necessarily need to be spoken at all times by everybody. It doesn't. Let me give you an example. I do like getting feedback from talks. I don't mind, but there's a time and a place. Okay? You can feedback to me immediately after a talk. And if it was just this to standard, though that was a great sermon, Vicar, that's fine. That's not really feedback anyway. Uh, But when it's critical feedback, you give it to me straight on a Sunday after I've delivered it and I will ignore you. I will not listen to it, but it will affect me for the rest of the Sunday. Okay? Because there's a time. It doesn't mean that what you're saying isn't true, but there's a time and a place. And it may be that it's not your place to give that truth either. It may be better that you were to feed it back to someone else who then feeds it back to me. So it may be true, but sometimes you have to keep quiet. Sometimes you should sit on it or sometimes you perhaps want to do it and think about, do I need to be the person that brings this word of truth or to, to, to feed this into the situation or can someone else do it? Is someone else best able to do it? Why is truth important? Because truth Builds relationships and strengthens communities. It strengthens and is the foundation of relationships. And so the, the reverse is, oft, is also true. Lies impact others. They destroy relationships. They destroy communities. What we saw here in the story that Jeanette read out for us was Abimelech could have not just sinned, but sinned to the extent where he was going to feel the, the full weight of God come upon him. You know, God called to him in dream and said I'm going to do this to you and Abimelech rightly answers back and said Oh hold on I haven't done anything wrong and God said, reveals to Abimelech the truth and Abimelech goes oh, I didn't know any of that sorry God says, "Okay, well, I know you didn't know anything, it, and because of that, we're going to sort this out. Don't worry." But Abimelech could have sinned, greatly and have faced the consequences of it. So you know, that would have destroyed communities. It would have destroyed relationships. It would have affected him in significant way. So lies impact others. Here's the thing: what we see in this story, God sees be under no illusion God sees and he knows and in this story he deals with it that's not always the case but God sees and he knows your lie and for him this is a purity issue for him he doesn't go, oh well it's just a little white lie for him this is a purity issue it's about you remaining pure and lies pollute Truth is pure. So what can we do? Well, here's some things I've been thinking about this. Speak carefully and speak slowly. And when I mean speak slowly, I don't mean elocution. But maybe count to 10 and think. And ask yourselves some questions. Is it... Well a good starter is is it true and by whose standards is it kind is it loving these are all standards the bible lays out is it kind is it loving does it need to be said now and can it be best said by someone else who perhaps is in a better position to vocalize that I think this Lent, one of the things that seems to be themes that seems to be coming up in the things that I'm thinking about and reading, and maybe as a church we need to start to think about this is in lent this Lent, do we need to start to slow down? Do we need to just find space and time to slow down to find presence? over practice to start to engage with God the truth yeah, to engage with the one who is truth to seek him first and in doing so I think or, or to do that we really need to, to, to slow down in our lives we all live mega busy lives I understand that whether you're working or whether you're retired I understand that if you have retired you don't understand how you ever found time to work but maybe in life we need to slow down stop doing you know perhaps this lent build in a practice to say in this lent I'm going to I'm going to make because time is an elusive thing i've noticed you can never find it but you can make it make time if it's only 5 minutes a day where well you're just going i'm going to turn my phone off and i'm just going to be we looked at the story of the transfiguration this morning at the 8.30 and in that you get Peter just wanting to do stuff. It's an amazing experience has just happened and all he wants to do is start putting tents up, making a conference going on. Uh, and Jesus uh, is, is there and the Father just sort of calms the situation down with his presence and what's important in the story of the transfiguration isn't just the revelation of who Jesus is but it's the fact that Peter needs to stop doing and just start to be and, exper- and enjoy the presence of God in that place and maybe we need to learn for that this Lent to start to, to slow down because I think when we start to slow down and start to experience the presence of God and know him in our lives we can start to he will want to because that's his nature he wants to start to deal with the issues in our lives whether that's issues of fear whether that's issues of, of, of you know, unrepented sin that he just wants to highlight and say, let's deal with this, let's put this little puppy to bed. And as we do that and start to experience the truth, the person who is the truth, our lives will, through that osmosis that you get when you're with him, will start to reflect him more and we will start to be people of the truth who speak truth who know what it is to speak words that are true in situations where our heart wants us to lie because it's the easy option because we're scared because we're fearful of a situation Muslims say that we are people of the book. That's what the Quran says, that we as Christians are people of the book. They're wrong. We are not people of the book. We're people of the truth, the person of the truth, people of Jesus. You know, we don't worship Father, Son, and Holy Bible. We are followers of Jesus, who is the truth. And we need to start to reflect that in the way that we live. And that's what Christian integrity is about. The more we become more like Jesus, and that's, there's a really nice theological term for that. Sanctification. But it's really when the Spirit of God is trying to make us more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. Being more like Jesus. That's what the whole of this series is about. Being like Jesus. Christian integrity. We are people of the truth. So as we draw our service to a close, it may be, it may be, uh, as Eileen said earlier, that uh, as Annette was sharing that word about things that are knots in, inside of you, and you, God's wanting to undo them. Part of that knot could be fear, and, it, and, out of, and we know through this story of Abimelech that fear drives lies. It's one of the, it's the one of the, it's the engine room of lies is fear, and it maybe you need to deal with that this, this morning. God wants to deal with He doesn't want you to live in fear. It's not it's not his plan. That's not a gift to the church. And if it's not a gift of Jesus, then you've got who's given you that gift? And it's don't take it. You know, let's deal with that. So there'll be prayer over this side uh, at the end of the service. But it may be that you, that you you know that you just need to say sorry to God for situations where you've you felt justified in telling a half-truth, where well, there is no such thing as half-truth. It's black and white. It's either it's a lie or it's not. Half-truth, that's just us trying to placate ourselves and make ourselves feel better. Oh, it's a half-truth. It's a lie. We don't ever say it's a half-lie, do we? Interesting that half a lie uh, let's get prayer for it okay no condemnation just release this is not condemnation at all this is God wanting to go let's deal with this let's restore this relationship we can have a let's get back things back on track this is not a condemning time this is about us putting things right and, 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 and getting on with a great Sunday okay thank you Eileen
1: well, <clears throat> I grew up in a working-class family and a lovely, beautiful Christian family in the middle of London. I actually went to Towbridge Primary School. You could see Towbridge from where I played. But within that culture, you heard all the time people saying, "Oh well, you've got to toughen up. The truth always hurts." But thanks to Paul today, I think I certainly have had my heart, mind opened to the fact that truths do have to be shared, but in the context of love and the timeliness, as Paul says, when you say it. I have to confess, and I hope I don't cry, that I haven't spoken to my sister in two years, because we had an exchange of truths and through my prayer God said to me it's the way you said it it had to be said but it's the way you said it so through Lent I'm going to be doing my praying and I'm certainly going to be going over to uh, the ministry team on our left Uh, Just a reminder that if you're new or nearly new, we would love you to say hello and share tea, coffee and fellowship afterwards. Um, And now I just ask you to bow your heads for a final prayer. As we leave this place, Lord, and go out there, may we go in the power of the Holy Spirit, May your grace and love be with us each day. Bless us, O Lord, with your unfailing love and cause the work of our hands to prosper. Uphold us in the palm of your hand and see us through each stage of our lives. Amen. So do help yourself to tea and coffee and, um, yeah, enjoy family fellowship. Amen.